0: Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mekaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 213 with Dory Clark. Dory's talk at office politics, so you'll learn one. How to create a campaign plan for your career. Two, the power mapping approach to smarter people decisions. And three, a genius tactic for highlighting your achievements without sounding boastful. So if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we referenced here, it's on over at awesome at your slash ep two one three. But now here's Dory's story. Dory Clark is an adjunct professor of business administration at Duke University's Fuqua School of Business and the author of Reinventing You, Stand Out, and Entrepreneurial You. Stand Out was named the number one leadership book of 2015 by Inc. Magazine, one of the top 10 business books of the year by Forbes, and was a Washington Post bestseller. A former presidential campaign spokeswoman, the New York Times described Dory as an expert at self-reinvention and helping others make changes in their lives. Now, here's Dory. Dory, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast.
1: Pete, thank you for having me.
0: Well, I was so intrigued in reading a little bit about you. So not only do you do some adjunct professoring and book writing, but you've also directed a documentary film and produced a jazz album that won a couple Grammys. How do you do it all? How does this all tie together for you? (laughs)
1: <laughs> well thank you. One one of my mottos in life is that I like to try to optimize for interesting. All right. And so if there is an opportunity to uh to just try something that is intriguing or something that that I've kind of always wanted to do or that will just make a good story frankly, I am uh, I'm usually game to try it. And so, um, you know, making, making movies or being involved in, in music or things that from the time I was a teenager, I thought would be pretty awesome. And I, I think for me, fortunately, um, opportunities presented themselves, but I, I think this is the case for, for many of us, if we are open to them. I mean, for instance, the way that I ended up, uh, directing the documentary film was I was actually a, um, consultant, a a communications consultant on a political campaign. And one of the people who was supporting our candidate was a woman who was an environmental activist. And I got to to know her through the campaign. And a campaign volunteer decided that this woman's story was amazing and, and needed to be told. And she was really passionate about the idea of creating a documentary film about her but she had never made a documentary film, didn't know how to do it. And so she came to me and asked if I would be, uh, involved in it. And if I in fact would direct the film and to, to have an opportunity like that, um, I, I just, I went for it. I had never directed a, a film before, but I said, you know what, this is, uh, this is the moment. Let's make it happen.
0: Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Did you get to wear a beret?
1: <laughs> you know, I didn't. We were uh, we were mostly filming in the summer, and it was pretty. It was pretty hot outside. Oh. But otherwise, for sure, I would have done a beret.
0: That's kind of the first thing that I would think of is the chair and the beret, and then all the artistic stuff I would need a lot of help with.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I feel you.
0: Well, I bumped into you, you know, actually not so much th- from your fantastic books, which is really cool. They're doing well, but rather it was through the Linda course about managing office politics. And that's something that's come up for listeners. So I'd love it if you could frame it up for us. First of all, you know, just how important are office politics? And, and some would say, oh, I hate politics. You know, I'm just going to put my head down and do a good job. You know, how should we be thinking about it?
1: Yeah, well, actually, one of the the reasons that I got into um, writing about office politics was, in fact, my my previous career. I I do, you know, mostly marketing strategy consulting now, but I used to work in politics. Um, I was a a press secretary on a governor's race. Uh, I was a communications director on a presidential campaign and then consulted for a lot of uh, different other races, including the one that spawned the documentary film. And it occurred to me over time, that there were a lot of parallels between how office politics is conducted and how electoral politics is. And I realized that if if we could use election strategies to, uh, to to win campaigns, we could do the same thing to win at office politics. And once I had that insight and started writing about it and talking about it, I realized that that was actually kind of an empowering frame because a lot of people feel like office politics happens to them, that they uh, just get into a situation and There's these shady operators that are always (laughs) trying to, you know, take the credit for everything and and have, you know, these Machiavellian maneuverings. And if you realize that you don't have to just opt out of office politics and, and have things done to you, instead, there are ethical, proactive ways to think about office politics, then you're a little bit more in the driver's seat and and you realize, okay, I I can actually begin to to shape my career and get the things done that I need to.
0: Okay, well that is a nice healthy reframe there. And so can you share maybe first of all just a couple of those parallels you see like you know in the campaign world and in the spokesperson world that you see kind of transfer right over into the workplace?
1: Yeah, well, I I think that one of the most important things is in electoral politics. Of course, everyone is very clear on the goal. You know, we all know it's to win on election day. And so you have your deadline and you know exactly what your goal is and you work backwards from it. So you say, okay, um, we expect that X number of people are going to be voting. So that means we need uh, we need to get Y share of the votes. How do we account for that, and you create an action plan? I think that a problem that a lot of professionals have is that they are not so strategic uh, when it comes to office politics. They just uh, you know think, oh well, you know Jenny's a big bully, and so blah 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 um, instead it it pays to have your focus on the ultimate outcome just as you would with a political campaign and so Specifically, um, it involves getting clear on your goal. Maybe it's, um, you know, winning a promotion to become, uh, become a manager, become a vice president. And then this is a, a really critical part, understanding who is necessary to make that goal happen. It's it's often not just one person that, uh, that has uh, a vote or veto power over that. Oftentimes, uh, it's a collection of people. And so coming up with a strategy so that over time you are building relationships so that the the people you need to influence know who you are and like you, have a favorable assessment of you, understand what your strengths and competencies are that's playing the long game so that you can get in front of those people, spend more time with them. And ultimately two years down the road, when, when it's time for you to come up for that promotion, they're saying yes to you.
0: Oh, that is so good. I'm having a flashback right now to when I had my dream internship, I was a Bain and Company And I was chatting with the person I worked with most often. And his role was a senior associate consultant in the hierarchy there. And I had known that it was the manager who made the decision about whether or not I got the offer. And so I was having some back and forth chats with Kyle was his name. He was awesome about what I should do and be improving upon. And then there was like a light bulb that came, (laughs) came over me and I said, oh, wait a second. I'm supposed to be dazzling you. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, well, well, yeah, I'd I'd like to be dazzled. And yeah, the manager makes the decision, but it's primarily based upon my input. (laughs) It it was cool. We could just be candid. I was, you know, very green (laughs) in my career and we could just have the conversation, you know, straight up. And it was like, oh, okay. And so you're right. I think we can overlook that even if you do know the goal clearly, you don't know who were all the critical influencers along
1: the way. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, and oftentimes it's people that in the hierarchy, you wouldn't necessarily expect. This is where the secretaries come in. This is where the assistants or the, you know, the junior employees come in. We might uh, be so narrowly focused on the power players. And actually, as is the case in, in your example, uh, oftentimes they are paying cursory attention and really they're just delegating it and saying, well, you know, okay, who who do you think we should promote? And so there's there can sometimes be huge pockets of power in unexpected places.
0: Oh, yes. Well, now tell us, how do we kind of decode that or get a sense for, you know, who's got the influence and how it all unfolds?
1: Well, I think that one of the things that, that we can do is, uh, is conduct what in the world of, uh, of politics is known as power mapping. And so th- the way that power mapping works is that literally on a, on a sheet of paper, you uh, you start to write down the people that are, the person or people that are most influential in making a given decision. So maybe it's a promotion decision, maybe you have a, a project or a program that you're trying to get greenlit. And so you need to figure out who the decision makers are, you know, in a, in a literal sense, you probably know that part, but something that requires a little bit more detective work, and this is things like looking at who's sitting with who at uh, the lunchroom. It's uh, listening carefully to what people are saying and seeing who they're quoting and who they're citing. It is going through people's LinkedIn profiles and, and understanding. Oh, you know these these two people. Might be in different functional areas now, but they actually were in sales training at the same time. They probably really have a history with each other. It's that secondary level of analysis that enables you to understand who the people are who are influencing the decision makers. And if you can't get to a decision maker directly, the influencing the influencers uh, can become very valuable. And even if you can, Uh, get directly to the decision maker, if you are creating an echo chamber in support of whatever your goal is, if you have a bunch of people around that person saying, oh, yes, that's, you know, that's right. You should, you know, you should definitely, you know, promote him. You should definitely promote her. um, That can make a big difference.
0: All right. Create an echo chamber. That's a great turn of a phrase. Yes. So, okay. So we're kind of getting that detective work. And I guess sometimes you can probably just flat out ask, who are the key people who are going to be in the meeting? What is the process by which promotions are determined and the timing and and all of that? Or and so sometimes it's the explicit asking, and sometimes it is the detective work, observing LinkedIn, etc. Do you have any other favorite tactics to put the power map together?
1: Yeah. So as you're thinking through the power map, the the other thing that is critical is in addition to understanding who who the uh, the people should be who are on it is quantifying your relationship to them. And so, Hmm. yes. So one uh, strategy for this, and I discussed this in a Harvard Business Review uh, article that I did a while back called a campaign plan for your career, is that you can color code each relationship on there. So for instance, if there's someone who is uh, a, a decision maker that you have a really good relationship with, they would be color-coded green on the map. Um, If there's someone that you have, you know, an okay relationship with, or maybe you don't know them that well, uh, they could be a, a yellow. And if there's someone that either just does not even know who you are, or there's for some reason a negative relationship, that person would be red. And your goal as you work through this process is to try over time to change the colors on the map Closer and closer to green. Um, you want it to be as, as green as possible. This is especially if you have a, a reasonable time horizon. You know, let's say that you're planning for something that's coming up in a year or even two years. That's plenty of time if you are assiduous to build relationships, to build connections, to uh, to come up with ideas and ways to get closer to people. Maybe it's just um, you know choosing. Oh, you know, I should sit next to this person in the meeting so that um, you know in the. Five minutes before the meeting starts, we have the opportunity to chit chat a little bit and I get to know them a little bit better. It's just the, these small incremental moves over time and repeated have a, a large net effect.
0: Oh, I like that. And so Dory, I've got to sound the voice of the skeptic there. It's like, oh, but Dory, isn't that you know inauthentic or like I'm using people? You know, how do we navigate that one?
1: Well, I, I think that it would be inauthentic or using people if you really just didn't care about them at all. And it was, you were just like the Terminator saying, you know, (laughs) promotion, promotion, promotion. But, you know, ideally the spirit that you want to go into this with is just getting, getting to know people as people get, just getting, building a human relationship because there's multiple steps along this pathway, right? Number one is they have to at least just know who you are you know, they have to literally know like, oh, that's Pete. Um, number two is they have to like you, you know, have some kind of a favorable feeling. Oh, Pete, he's he's a nice guy. Yeah. And then third and finally, it's, oh, Pete's really good at his job. We need to promote him. And so going through those stages, it, you know, it, it's not a disingenuous thing. If you Uh, if you want to meet someone who is, who is, you know, powerful in some way, um, they're probably an interesting person. And, you know, you have, you have a limited uh, time and focus. And so just introducing yourself, just, you know, letting them know who you are as a human being and making a little small talk. So, you know, maybe you hear about their family and they hear about yours. That's, um, That's not using somebody that's actually just building a nice relationship so that if you see someone in the hallway, they're like, oh, hey, Pete, what's going on? That actually makes life nicer for everyone.
0: Okay, perfect. I love that. And so then, well, let's talk about some of those upgrades for the colors as well as, you know, those little steps when it can come to, you know, sitting next to someone. Starting some small talk, have you found are there any sort of particular, I don't know, topics or questions or opportunities that seem to come up frequently in, in terms of being a, a nice relationship upgrade approach?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And this is something that I I talked about in my first book, Reinventing You. Um, something that I thought was was a really terrific idea, which I think um, you know, has maybe gotten a little bit lost to the sands of history. So I wanna resurrect it is in the 1980s, there was a, uh, at the time, a well-known business author named Harvey McKay. Oh yeah. And, uh, yeah, he had some great stuff. You know, one of his books was called Swim with the Sharks Without Being Eaten Alive, <laughs> you know, great title. And, uh, he had something that, that he did called the McKay 66. Oh Yeah yeah I love the idea of this um, the The deal with Harvey McKay his before he wrote books, uh, his claim to fame was that he was the owner of an envelope company and this is you know the ultimate commodity business. I mean, <laughs> who really cares about what kind of envelope you're gonna buy right? Uh, and so he knew this and he realized that his salesman We're only going to be successful if they could differentiate not on the product, but on their relationships, the quality of the relationships with their customers. And so he gave each of his salespeople uh, this sheet called the McKay 66. It had 66 questions on there. And it was just everything you could think of about a person. You know, are they married? Do they have kids? What are the names of the spouse and the kids? Uh, Where do they go to college? Uh, Did they go to grad school? If so, where? What sports teams do they root for? What hobbies do they have? all the things. And now the trick, of course, is that no human being is going to sit there and be interviewed and answer 66 questions. That's ridiculous. Um, But his goal, Harvey McKay's goal was he told his salespeople at the end of a year, you need to have this sucker filled out entirely, but you don't do it by sitting there and grilling someone. You have to spend enough time and have enough high quality conversations with the person so that organically, you get this information and can fill it out. I think that's a, a really good test and a really good way to think about it.
0: Oh, that is really good. That is good. And so now I'm wondering with the, the McKay 66, and you're right, resurrecting is good. I've heard of it, but I haven't thought of it in a couple of years. So so that's great stuff. And then when it comes to the questions, it's not a grilling, but it's a natural you know, conversational unfolding yeah, that occurs. So then I guess I'm wondering... Do some folks just not feel like engaging you on this? Like, I don't care to tell you these things. <laughs> so, any thoughts for how you play that?
1: Well, I mean, you know, it's true. There's there's some people that are just totally non-communicative. I mean, you could you could say, "Hey, Pete, you know what? So what? What was your weekend? Did you do anything interesting?" And you know, there's always gonna be the guy that's like. No, <laughs> and you know, okay, great. You know, you you have your little power map. If there's if there's a person on the power map that just is, you know, not playing along, they hate humanity, uh, <laughs> they're misanthropic, they don't want to get to know you. Okay, you know, that's that's fine. There's seven billion people. You you move on. There's probably another person you can befriend. There's probably another way to accomplish what you need to do. But the vast majority of of people are actually pretty open to it. If, if you're, if you're just friendly, if you're, if you're cordial to them. Um, I, I think that, uh, you know, almost anyone, Oh, you know, what did you do this weekend? Anything interesting? You know, they'll say, Oh, well, you know, I, I took my kids to the movies. Oh, really? How old are your kids? Oh, eight and six, what great ages. Nice. You know, what, what are they into for hobbies? You know, you just, you have a little, a little chat and every time you get to know a little bit more about a person, then the next time you see them, oh, you know, how's, uh, how's Josh doing with the soccer? You know, and it's, it just, it built, it keeps building that layer of, of intimacy.
0: That's excellent. And so now I'm thinking, boy, if there's 66 questions and many people, you probably got to track that somehow or because our fragile memories are going to explode trying to hold all of that. So any best practices for that?
1: <laughs> it's true. It's true. If, if you, I mean, clearly uh, you can't be doing this with, with everybody that you meet, but um, you know, at a, at a very basic level, uh, a strategy for, you know, when you're meeting people at cocktail parties or things like that, I mean, people talk about um, writing, information on the back of business cards, uh, that if you're meeting somebody for the first time, um, you know, not in front of them, obviously, but at the end of the night, so that you still remember who the name is, you know, who, who it's associated with, but before you, you know, put it in your pocket and and forget about it, until, you know, the next, the next Monday morning, um, you just write down, oh, you know, Jeff is the one who was the water skier or whatever. And, uh, and then that way you can capture it for these kinds of things. I would say, um, similarly pretty shortly after the conversation, you do want to write it down somewhere. I mean, it could be on paper. Uh, some people use, um, you know, database systems, contact management systems of some sort. For a long time, I was using one called uh, Contactually. Uh, lately, I've been experimenting with one called Zoho. Uh, so there, there's a lot of options out there.
0: Oh, Dory, that's fun. I went through this whole rigmarole of looking at uh, CRM systems. I ended up choosing ProsperWorks if you're still experimenting. Mm. It's pretty mind blowing how it auto completes things from an email. Oh, nice. So there's a free plug for Prosper works, everybody. So that's cool. All right. So you're having real conversations. You're learning some things. You're capturing that so you don't forget about it. Great stuff. Now, you also talk a little bit about the principle of social proof. Can you tell us a bit about that and how to build it?
1: Yeah, definitely. So social proof is is a concept that I explore extensively in my most recent book, Stand Out. And essentially, this is a term that is borrowed from psychology um, if, if we're, uh, if we're thinking about it in a big picture, basically social proof means your credibility. What, what is it about you? It is signaling, signaling to other people that you are a credible person that should be listened to and taken seriously. And so there's a lot of possible ways that you could do this. Um, but it is about finding, uh, finding ways that, that you can leverage, that is just sort of a shortcut. Um, One of the best is to piggyback on the credibility of others who folks have already heard of and trust. So for example, if you get involved and become an officer in your local professional association, that's a great way of doing it because, you know, oh, well, uh, are you are you a good marketer? Well, you know, she's she's the uh, the secretary of the uh, New England chapter of uh, of email marketers. So, yes, she must be she must be very good. <laughs> you know, right. leadership uh, confers a kind of status so that's uh, that's one possibility is professional associations, civic associations, et cetera. Certainly, um, alumni connections are another way if you've uh, If you've gone to uh, a prestigious school or a school that uh, that has you know a good alumni network in your community, that can be a great way to establish social proof um, yet another one is, uh, is starting to share your ideas and, uh, and write for, you know, blogs or publications that people might've heard of. Um, also uh, places that you've worked for. I mean, I was, I was looking at your bio, Pete, you've, you've done this nicely. You've consulted for, you know, people at the, at the United Nations and, uh, you know, all of these, very prestigious organizations. Oh, and that's the reason that, that people put that in their bio is that people look and they say, well, if you know Pete's good enough for the UN, then clearly <laughs> he's good enough for me.
0: Oh, that's great. That's great. And so when you make the point about the stages of the relationship in terms of first, they got to know who you are, and then they have got to like you and think you're swell. And then they've got to have an impression that you're great I want to talk a little bit about them thinking you're great perspective. Now, you don't want to brag like, well, you know, I'm hot stuff because I I did this or that. But at the same time, you kind of got to get that information out there a bit. What are some of the savvy ways to make that happen?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, one one strategy um, that I uh, that I share in reinventing you is something that, that I call the wingman strategy, and this is actually taken from research done by Jeffrey Pfeffer of the Stanford Graduate School of Business and Robert Cialdini of Arizona oh, State. I
0: love Cialdini.
1: He's so good he's so good and so they they teamed up for a study and what they discovered is that uh, number one if you are perceived by other people as bragging about yourself um, no no one's gonna listen they're gonna tune it out pretty fast you know most most people can uh, can imagine that, that that's true uh, but the interesting part the corollary which I think has has been explored uh, very little is that if someone else, is saying those exact same things about you. If they, if they are praising you and complimenting you, then other people are going to listen and they're going to say, wow, she sounds amazing. I have to meet her. And so this is something that happens accidentally, you know, plenty of times. I mean, sometimes you might get lucky and someone says something nice about you to your boss, for instance, but it's also something that we can engineer. We can be strategic about this. And so if you have a trusted friend or colleague, you can go to that person and say, look, let's make a pact at the next conference or the next networking event. I will focus on talking you up if you do the same thing for me. And this is especially good for people who are nervous about personal branding or self-promotion. Your job, your mission is just to help your friend shine and they can do the same thing for you and it ends up benefiting you both.
0: Oh, that's so simple and makes a lot of great sense in terms of how that unfolds. So I guess the key is you just need to find those folks who you really do believe in so you can authentically say great things about them and vice versa.
1: Absolutely. Yes. It certainly matters that you have to legitimately respect the person. (laughs) Absolutely.
0: Oh, Dory. well, this is so much good stuff. Tell me, is there anything else you want to make sure to mention before we talk about some of your favorite
1: things? Yeah. Thank you, Pete. One, One thing that I will mention for folks who are interested in just getting, getting clearer on their unique special sauce, uh, that they, that they bring to work. You know, what is it that's, that's special and distinct about them and their ideas? Um, I actually do have a free resource. It is, um, a 42 page, uh, standout self-assessment workbook that I created. And folks can download that for free off of my website at doryclark.com. So I wanted to be sure, uh, to mention that in case, uh, in case folks wanted to, um, to, to work through that and to begin to think about how to apply some of these concepts to their own lives.
0: Oh, perfect. Thank you. Well, now can you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring?
1: Yeah, what, my all time favorite, uh, you know, sort of inspirational quote comes from Theodore Roosevelt. And uh, he liked to say, in any moment of uncertainty, the best thing you can do is the right thing. The next best thing you could do is the wrong thing. And the worst thing you can do is nothing.
0: Mm, well said. Thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment or a bit of research?
1: well we talked about him earlier we were felling a little bit um i will uh, i will cite uh, robert Cialdini, who, uh, who is the author of uh, the famous influence the psychology of persuasion um he it was one of the case studies that i profiled in stand out and uh, he did so many amazing studies but he was really the first person to do field experiments in psychology um before him and, and still, you know, very commonly today, uh, you'd hear about psychology experiments. And it was always just random stuff about, oh, a bunch of undergraduates did this in a lab where uh, there was this completely artificial experiment and they did this, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and, you know, you, you never really know if those findings actually translate into the real world. But Robert Cialdini did experiments in the real world. And he actually went out and and showed things like, um, what can you do to influence people to recycle more or to not steal wood, petrified wood from national parks or things like that that actually uh, were interesting and mattered.
0: Mm -hmm. That's so good. And how about a favorite book?
1: Well, a favorite book of mine. Um, I uh, I will cite a a recent one that I that I just read. This is this is the most recent book. Uh, in a while that was just a real page turner for me. I, I powered through it in like a day and a half, which is saying something because it's a, it's a fairly long book. But it was really terrific. It was by a friend of mine named David Jayer, And it's called The Witch of Lime Street. And it was a, uh, a very, very meticulously researched book about Harry Houdini and his efforts to uh, discredit a woman uh, in 1920s Boston, who was, um, possibly a, uh, a sort of, um, s- psychic medium type person.
0: Hmm. Oh, interesting. Thank you. And how about a favorite tool, something that you use to be awesome at your job?
1: Well, one of my favorites, I do, I do a lot of business travel. And so I rely on something called TripIt Pro. Um, there's a free app called TripIt and then I, I paid for the Um, slightly fancier version. Um, It's really great uh, because if you have a lot of plane reservations, hotel reservations, car rental, I mean, that can be a nightmare to organize. And uh, TripIt makes it very easy to keep it all in one place and uh, it requires a, a minimum of work from you.
0: Yes, and I love it how it will auto put it on your calendar, even. Yes. In terms of the locations and the times associated with your check in and, and all that, so handy, cool. And how about a favorite habit?
1: <laughs> so, uh, favorite a favorite habit. Um, I would say that I'm getting better at this. I, I would call it. Uh, I would call it a. Uh, a habit, not necessarily one that has gone to the unthinking level, but uh, but one that I have built in regularly about um, working out. I have uh, I've never been a very disciplined kind of exercise person, but uh, but but I think it's really important for all of us to understand our levers of motivation. And so, something that's been really good for me is uh, I've joined something called ClassPass, where you buy um, a certain number of exercise classes every month. And then it allows you to go to a variety of different studios to, uh, to work out. And I just, uh, I, it drives me crazy to waste the money that I've already spent. And so buying ClassPass is really good because I will work out at least 10 times a month, um, with these, uh, with these classes because I I have uh, pre-committed essentially.
0: Mm, Very good. And, and you're writing and you're speaking and, and working with folks. Is there a particular nugget that you share that tends to really resonate and get folks you know, nodding their heads and taking notes and connecting?
1: Well, one of the things that I, uh, that I talk about, which I think uh, resonates with a lot of people, I, I hear from people that they have tried it, is something uh, that's a strategy from my first book, Reinventing You, and that's called The Three-Word Exercise. And it's just kind of a quick hit version of a way to get a sense of, of uh, what your brand is in the marketplace, and specifically, what is it about you that that other people think is most distinctive about you? And so, it's it's really simple. Your listeners can try this. Um, Basically what you do over the course of the next week or few days is reach out to about half a dozen people that know you reasonably well and you ask them a very simple question, which is if you had to describe me in only three words, what would they be? And by the time you're getting to the third or fourth or fifth person, you're going to start to see patterns in what they are telling you. And it is in those patterns that you can begin to discover what it is about you that other people think is most unique and most distinctive, which is typically very hard for for us as, as people to figure out.
0: Well, Dory, I'm going to put you on the spot. What are your three words? <laughs>
1: I've, I've heard that there seems to be some kind of commonality, uh, where, um, people will often say curious about me. Um, and I, and I would, I would agree with that. I think that that's a pretty, a pretty good descriptive one. Cause you know, I used to be a journalist and, uh, I do like to, I mean, you know, it, with the format of the podcast interview, you're the one asking asking me questions, <laughs> but uh, but but in in typical things uh, in typical conversations, I will often be peppering people with a lot of questions. So curiosity is a big one. The other ones that uh, that really matter to me a lot, just in terms of how I comport myself in the world. Um, again, other people might might pick other ones, but but in terms of what matters to me, I would say polite and friendly.
0: Okay, that's a nice combo. Thank you.
1: <laughs> yes, absolutely.
0: And if folks want to learn more, or get in touch, where would you point them?
1: Well, most saliently, I should mention that I have a new book uh, that, is, uh, that is just being released. It's called Entrepreneurial You. And, uh, and folks who are interested in monetizing their expertise, uh, developing multiple revenue streams, that is the book for them. And they can learn more about it, order it, uh, you know, order at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, et cetera. Uh, but they can learn more at my website, doryclark.com. It's D-O-R-I-E-C-L-A-R-K.com. And there's also a variety of free resources there. There's more than 400 articles that I've written for places like Forbes and Harvard Business Review that are all available for free on my website, as well as the uh, the standout um, self-assessment workbook. So I hope there's a, a, lot, of, uh, a lot of material there for People, if they want to dive in,
0: oh, perfect! Thank you. And if you had one challenge or call to action for those seeking to be awesome at their jobs, what would it be?
1: Yeah, if uh, if people really want to uh, to to be seen for their their full value, their full contribution, one of the things that I think is actually important that not enough people do is think about content creation. And what I mean by that, this is not you know, just about sending some tweets or, or whatever. What really sets you apart is letting people know your ideas. And so whether that is um, having a thoughtful exchange on your company's uh, internal social network, like Yammer, or starting to, to blog about industry trends, you know, maybe on LinkedIn, or, or something like that, setting your ideas down in long form, where you have to Make a case. You have to argue for something. You have to have a point of view. It is a great discipline in terms of um, helping you refine your thinking. But it also is critically important because if you don't share your ideas, no one knows what they are or if they're any good. And not a lot of people are really taking the time to do it. So it it can distinguish you. Mm, Excellent.
0: Well, Dory, this has been so much fun. I wish you lots of work in professoring and writing and speaking and all you're up to.
1: Hey, Pete, thank you so much.
0: I really loved what Dory had to say about making the pact with the wingman. So you get the social proof going where you talk up that person, that person talks up you. And I can't help but think about Dwight K. Schrooge from The Office. Do you want to form an alliance? (laughs) But it's so helpful because absolutely. If you really believe in that person and can honestly speak to their good qualities, well, then why not have a great little exchange and where folks are winning, good truths are being shared about good people and it's win, win, win all the way around. So I thought that was brilliant. That did not occur to me and so much appreciated. So I hope you dug that and more. And again, if you want to check out the show notes, the transcript, the links to items referenced, that's on over at com slash F213. And I hope you push subscribe. So hear from folks like our next guest, It's Molly Beck talking about reaching out, how it can be done and get tremendous network building goodness with just a few minutes a day. Great conversation with Molly. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure
1: to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.